This is Riz Hatton with the Becker's Dental Plus DSO podcast. I'm thrilled to be joined today by Dr. Joseph Weinman, CEO and owner of Weinman Dental. Dr. Weinman, thank you so much for being here today. Riz, uh, thank you for the invitation to participate in today's podcast. So I'm all yours. Ask me questions. Uh, I'll be happy to answer them as best I can. Fantastic. Could you start off uh, by introducing yourself and telling us a bit about your background? Sure. My name is Dr. Joseph Weinman. I'm a 1981 graduate of the University of Pittsburgh School of Dental Medicine. I'm a 22-year veteran and retiree of the United States Army Dental Care System, and I currently run full-time private practice since 2002 when I retired from the military. I also uh, run a local study club, and I'm a diplomate of the American Board of General Dentistry. I'm married to my college sweetheart for the past 45 years. I'm father father of three grown children, a grandfather of eight, ranging in ages from six to 18. And in my free time, I spend a lot of it on sports fields cheering on my grandkids or using my FAA Part 107 pilot license to fly my drones around town. And I work out on a regular basis at our local fitness club. Well, thank you so much for sharing. My first question for you is, what are the biggest issues you're following in dentistry today? I think the largest issue that I'm following is the unbelievable cost of getting a dental school education, specifically the debt levels of new dentists graduating with from their professional training. Most of these young students are paying more for one year than I paid for my four years going to school at University of Pittsburgh in 1977 to 1981. Second thing that I think I'm following is the the corporatization of the business of dentistry. By that, I mean the rise of the DSOs and the decrease in private practice opportunities for young doctors. A third thing that I think is the loss of our moral compass as a profession and our personal integrity can be challenged as we chase production that seems to be revenue-driven rather than what our patients need. And sadly, the fourth thing I'm, I'm concerned about is the commoditization of our profession. I call it the race to the bottom, where we try to sell a service or a procedure cheaper than our neighbor down the street, but it's not necessarily better in order to attract more patients than the practice around the corner. Interesting. And you brought up the cost of education here as one of the primary issues that you're focusing on today. How do you think um, this high cost of education will affect dentistry in the future? Well, if you graduate from dental school with a, a debt load of four to $500,000, it's a little hard for you to look into private practice as an option. Also for you to maybe have a quality of life that you think you thought you were going to have when you graduated from dental school. I don't think many students go to dental school thinking that they're going to be an employee for the rest of their life. But with the high debt load that they must carry, the fact that that's going to cost them maybe $5,000 a month in payments for the next 10 years, that certainly puts a stranglehold on their ability to do what they want for their family. So that's what I mean by the high cost of dental education. Thank you. My next question for you is, what are you most excited about and what makes you nervous? 
Well, I think the most exciting part of uh, dentistry is the continued improvement in technology and the forthcoming um, artificial intelligence development component of that. I also think that the civic revolution known as the dental loss ratio enforcement, where patients should come before profits, is a key to allowing patients with dental insurance support to get more treatment done rather than the CEOs or the profit margins of these insurance companies staying as large as they have been. In the, we just had that uh, voting uh, referendum in Massachusetts where uh, the public overwhelmingly voted in support of a dental loss ratio of like 82%, where the insurance companies have to spend 82% of their premium dollars on actual patient care rather than profits. So that also is happening across many different states to include mine here in Nevada. The thing that makes me most nervous is the power that the insurance carriers have over the delivery of healthcare. I don't think that a doctor should be told by an insurance company what the patient should have done. I mean, obviously, in my particular case, I've got 40 years of experience doing dentistry, and I think I know what's best for my patients, and yet insurance companies are quick to tell me that that's not what they need or for whatever reason their artificial intelligence tells them that this is a better option if we do something along these lines. I would certainly uh, like to say that I think the doctor and patient should decide what treatment is best. And as long as the patient is getting informed consent and they know the advantages and disadvantages of doing the treatment, they should be allowed to select whatever they think is best for themselves. Interesting. And what will the most effective healthcare leaders need to be successful in the next two to three years? Well, to be perfectly honest, I don't think they need much more than what they're already doing. I think the primary thing that we need to remember is that dentistry is a science and art that is provided by people to other people. So a successful leader must have the leadership as well as the managerial skill set to run an efficient and effective dental practice, notwithstanding excellent communication skills. Dental leaders must be able to connect with the patients on a personal level to gain their trust. You have to master the use of analogies and stories. Simply, in my opinion, you under-promise and over-deliver. Tell the truth. You show the patient what you see and allow them to make the decision that will suit them best. The use of intraoral photography and radiographic uh, techniques to allow you to visually share with the patient what you see in their mouth, I think, is critical. And then the final thing is that you cannot forget the regulatory responsibilities and do what is expected. You don't shirk the duties which ownership demands. Radiation protection, infection control, doing things the right way, making sure that your staff is taken care of properly. All these things are what leaders should do to maintain the level of success as they move forward in their careers. Overall, would you say that you're hopeful for the next generation of dental leaders, or are you more nervous when you uh, look at your outlook? I think every generation will have their own learning curve. 
I'm not worried about the next leaders in organized dentistry. I think the students of today are smart. I think they're well-trained. I think they just need experience to know what works and what doesn't work. I think that any young group needs mentorship from those that have gone before them. And I think that's important that every doctor graduating from dental school finds a senior dentist in their community that they can sort of latch on to, ask questions, and become familiar with all the things that's not taught in dental school. But I'm not worried about the next generation. I think they'll do great. Fantastic. Well, Dr. Wyman, thank you so much for your time and your insights today. I look forward to connecting with you again in the future. Well, thank you, Riz. I hope I answered your questions uh, as you anticipated. Again, these are my opinions, not necessarily those of anybody else, but I've been doing this a long time and I know what works and what doesn't work. And I'm happy to share whatever knowledge I have with whoever wants to connect with me uh, in any way, shape or form. And I do look forward to, uh, to particip participating in another podcast with you whenever you think it's valuable for me to do so. Fantastic, well, thank you so much.